First of all, welcome. Second of all, we are just getting started. So we hope and we'd like to hear your opinion as far as the time is concerned. We just, this is the first week we even tried to get the word out just yesterday. So we're doing this on a little bit short notice, but we just figured we'll start it. We'll give a little pilot class and then we'll take it from there. So please, after the class, tell me or someone if the uh, if the time is good or not good for you. If earlier is better, we may switch it to earlier. If a different day is better, we just figured this week we'll start a class. No, this is good? A little later. No. Oh, no. I know. This is the problem. The problem is, you know, is we could go. No, but the, it's to ask. I know. I'm not, you know, they just, we're starting it now. I figured we'll try to get it the right thing. We're having a hard time. We were going to push it off a week, but we figured we'll just get started. Um, before I begin, I'd also like to say that we're going to try to start on time and end on time. So let me start. If, we, if it's going to be 12.30 going forward, then it'll be starting at 12.30. And it's at the same ending 1.15. Hopefully you could book an errand on King's Highway at 120. That's what we mean. That kind of ending at 115. Now, before I start, I need to um, um, just say this. You know, I've been giving a class for a woman for about three years in a house. And, you know, sometimes people think that if a rabbi's classes are good or not good, they think it has to do with the rabbi. And let me tell you a little secret. In general, not just any rabbi is true, a rabbi is really only as good as his people. As the people that are help the rabbi, that uh, set, up, set him up, that are helping encourage, that are helping uh, take care. Those people that are really the ones that that make a class or a rabbi at all successful. And I had a person for the past three years who really, we had the class in her house every week, and it was every Wednesday, and she set up the house, and as few of you were here from that class, and she set up the the food every week perfectly. You remember the salads and the... And I really need to give a tremendous amount of thanks to... Uh, Mr. Eddie S's and his wife Sarah S's for really opening their home to our class for three years, like I said, in a row, every single Wednesday, having it all set up with a spread of food and having and calling the people and being really unbelievable and so easy and tremendous to work with. And really, the truth is, as we were deciding whether to take it out of the house or not, and she felt bad leaving the house, and yet very open to, if it's going to be better for the class, to take it out. And I think it's a tremendous testament to her character and to her family. How And Vizat Hashem, Hashem should bless them and their family. They should continue to have Torah in their home, to continue to have to raise children the way that they've been raising. They should build, really, Vizat Hashem, a beautiful home. Amen. And they should really get to Hashem, should give them all the berachot. And really, we thank them for tremendous what they've done, and all those that were consistent and diligent in coming to the class for the past three years, I appreciate that as well. Okay. One last person I just have to thank for getting this class started. You know, I moved to Brooklyn about three years ago, and I've been searching, and I'm still searching, for one woman in this whole community that doesn't know my mother. 
one. Like I'm just really young, old, the religious, not so religious, very religious, very not religious. They all know. I don't know what to do. I can't. I, I can't escape it. I go. It doesn't matter. J S where you are. They all. I really. I have to thank my mother for really trying, putting this class together, working on it, um, dealing with her crazy son, and really. Thank you for Mizat Hashem if we're able to do this going forward, my all your time of thanks. Thank you. That's just for the class. The real thanks is for a lot of other stuff, but that's not for now. Okay, let's begin. I think we're ready to go. Introductions done. Uh, let me try to go over your schedule this morning. Your schedule this morning probably was you woke up about seven o'clock. Maybe you had a bunch of kids. You had to get out to school, and Morris lost his shoes, and the other one lost their briefcase, and the other one needed lunch, and the other one needed snack, and finally by 8 o'clock, you got them all out. And then you're racing to what, three stores. You have to shop. You have to drop off the cleaners because all the clothes from the holiday. You have to get... You have to go by, you went, you're going to make an order in Kosher Corner, you're going to run it back home to make sure that you put up dinner for your family tonight, you're going to leave, you're running into this class, you want this class to end really perfectly on time because you have two things to do before you get home and your kids come home and little Michael and Sarah is going to make a mess in the house, you're going to try to clean up after that, hope dinner's out on time, your husband's going to come home, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, you're going to try to serve him and take care of him by 9, 30, 10 o'clock, you're going to be exhausted, fall asleep. Tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and do the same thing again. Is that close to the schedule? Close? Basically got it. My question is, why is this your lot? Why is this what Hashem had in mind for your life? Why? This is what we need to answer over the course of the next, whatever, how long the class till 115. We have to answer this question. Why is this the life that we lead? And to tell you the truth, it all comes from this week's parasha. This is exciting, it's a new beginning. We start this week, parashat Bereshit. And parashat Bereshit, the book of Bereshit, God created man, and He created the world, He created man, He created woman. And then came that famous sin. The famous sin. And to most of us, Hashem got upset at man and woman and the snake. And He seemingly just threw the whole book at them. Hashem just cursed man, you're going to die and you're going to have work hard and you're going to go back to the land and woman is going to have to be pregnant and give birth and raise children and the snake is going to lose its legs. And Hashem just threw a whole bunch of curses and we're basically paying for those curses for the rest of the time. That's basically, to most people, that's the story. They were created... They sinned, and then Hashem took the whole kitchen sink and dumped it on their heads. What we need to understand, and we're going to try to look at, is really to try to analyze this story, and to really properly understand what this story really is. Okay? And then we're going to see, we're going to answer that question and be able to understand why we live the lives we have. Why our husbands go through what they go through, why women go through what they do, and so on. So let's look, as we're analyzing the story, let's try to break it down to three questions. Question number one is, how did the sin happen? The sin was, the Nachaz, God commanded Adam, basically one commandment, don't eat from the Eitz Hadad, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. 
course, what happens? The snake goes and he tells the woman to eat from the tree and the woman eventually eats from the tree and then she serves her husband to eat and then Hashem gets upset. My first question is, who is this snake? What is this? Where does this snake come from? I mean, you ever see a snake who has any ability? What is the snake? Does the snake in any way exist today? I want to be introduced. I want to understand where this concept came from that a snake could actually talk to a woman and convince a woman. I want to know who this snake is. My second question is, is that why did they get these specific punishments? No, Hashem didn't just throw the kitchen sink. Hashem wasn't just mowing them down. Why did Hashem give them specifically these punishments? Why did the snake, why did they get their punishments? And question number three, which I think is the best of them all, is that they basically all three did the same thing. They all ate from the tree. How come each one gets their own punishment? The snake's punishment is that his legs are going to be cut off and he's going to eat from the dirt and be like on the ground, the lowest of all the animals. Woman's punishment is that she's going to have to go through nine months of pregnancy and labor and eventually to have a child and then the pain that it takes to raise a child and she's going to have to be subservient to her husband. That's her punishment. And man's punishment is that he's going to pass away, his life is going to be, is going to end, and that he's going to, he has to work his entire life, he has to go out, and he has to toil, and he has to work. Why does each one have their own punishment? They all did the same thing. Normally, if you had three kids that both ate from their Simchat Torah candy when they shouldn't have eaten from it, they're all getting the same punishment. Why does this, why does one lose his legs and eat from the dirt, and the other one have a pregnancy, and the other one have work? They three have seemed to have nothing to do with one another, where in essence they all did really the same sin. So we're looking here to answer three questions. Number one, who's the snake? Number two, why did Hashem give these punishments? And number three is why are they all different? Now, if anyone here has been to my classes in the past, the system that we like to use is that I will not answer the questions right away. We're first going to look at a concept and understand the concept. And based on that concept, we will eventually, God willing, answer the questions. So here we go. There is a Gemara in Baba Batra. The Gemara tells a story. This story is a very out there sounding story. I'm going to see that the story really is a very basic message for our life. There's a rabbi named Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda from Hindu. Rabbi Yehuda says, I was once on a ship. And on the ship, we had these great diamonds. And out of the water came this tremendous, monstrous snake. And it came onto the top board of the ship, on the deck of the ship, to grab the diamond. And then what happened is, out of the air came this big bird, and it cut off the neck of the snake, and it killed it. Then came another snake, a big, monstrous snake, and it brought the first snake back to life. And so the first snake was, so the bird then came down and it killed the second snake. But then the first snake brought the second snake back to life. 
And this kept happening. The bird would kill, and the snake would bring back to life. And then these two monsters were rocking the ship, until eventually the bird was able to kill the snakes, and the diamonds were saved. That's the story. Now, reading it on face value sounds like a cartoon. Sounds like monsters versus, what's it called? Monsters versus alien. It sounds like some kind of chaos here. One big snake coming on the ship, eating a diamond, this monster. What's it talking about? So the Malbim has an explanation to this story. He says, the ship is our lives. He says, the snake, excuse me, the diamond is our mind. Our minds and our nishamot are pure. They're like diamonds. He says, but then there comes in our lives these big snakes, these big monsters. And these monsters try to gobble up our lives and gobble up our minds. And what happens is that the, a bird comes in and tries to save it. And then the monster becomes we live. Who is this monster? And I'll explain it in my own words. The monster is our imagination. We have a mind that is good, that is pure, that is clear. And our imagination comes in and tries to sometimes consume our minds. And if sometimes we could squelch one part, another part comes in. And if we squelch the other part, the other part comes in. And let me give you a few examples of how our imagination works. Let me give you example number one. You ever get insulted? Anyone ever get insulted? Get insulted. Let's say someone, and I heard a story similar to this recently. You know, someone uh, you heard that um, uh, a boy and a girl were getting engaged. So you heard that this couple was about to get engaged. That's your friend's son. They're about to get engaged. And now it's like two months later, and you were never invited to the engagement party. So now you start to think, I was never invited to the engagement party. I thought we were close. I mean, for three years we were neighbors. We lived next door to each other. I invited her to my son's bris, to my grandson's bris. I invited her to every party I've had. They really didn't invite me. I mean, could it be they didn't invite me? And you start to think about it. And how could it be? And it doesn't make sense. Oh, I know what it is. It was that six months ago we had a conversation and she got angry from that conversation. She got angry from that conversation. I'm the one, if anything, I should be angry at heart. When she's angry at me, what kind of audacity? And when she was pregnant, I was the only one that took care of her. Could it be that she didn't? Maybe I should go talk to her sister now. No, I'm not going to. I'm going to make the phone call. For three weeks, you're thinking about it. And then one day, you're in a store somewhere, and you overhear a conversation, and you find out they never got engaged. How often does our mind work this way? is that we have this thing and it starts, our imagination starts to build and it starts to build and it starts to create this thing. It starts to cloud us and distract us and annoy us and it takes, takes over our mind that is really pure, that is really straight, that really wants good and it's like a monster trying to eat the diamond. I'll give you another example of our imagination. Jealousy. You have someone, oh, you know, your sister got to go away for Sukkot. 
So now Sukkot is coming, and your sister is in Florida, and you're stuck here. And you're making holiday, and you're working hard, and it's bothering you. It's your youngest sister, and it's annoying you. Oh, she has more money than I do, and she's away. And picture her in Florida. At Florida, what does her Sukkah look like? And look how easy it must be, and it must be so awesome for her. And the meals are just set up, and the weather is unbelievable, and everything is great. And, and the whole Sukkot you're thinking about. And at the same time, you don't even get a chance to realize that you're sitting here in Brooklyn, the weather was also picture perfect, and you're having meals with, uh, with big meals with a whole family that's really unbelievable, that really, in reality, you would totally enjoy and is practically perfect. And the only thing that's there, it's consuming you, is your imagination. Is your mind that's picturing and thinking and getting involved and getting emotional about it and getting hurt about it and getting depressed about it. And it becomes like a monster that wants to swallow up the diamond. I'll give you another example. Sometimes we get self-conscious. Yesterday I had this. I woke up in the morning early to go pray. And I didn't realize, uh, believe it or not, I'm not really like this, but I didn't realize till like 11 o'clock in the afternoon, in the morning, that I had on a jacket and a tie that had nothing to do with the pants I was wearing. Nothing to do. They weren't even like similar colors. Not only weren't they the same suit, it wasn't even close. So now for the rest of the day, I couldn't get home till a few hours after that. The rest of the day, I'm sitting, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my tie matches my jacket and it the pants match nothing, and this is a disaster, and everyone is noticing, and I look, I'm taking off my jacket, I'm putting my jacket back on, only when I have to, the whole day I'm thinking about it. And the truth is, I don't think one person noticed. No, and it was a real bad clash. It wasn't like, heck, it was really bad, but I really don't think one person noticed. But in my brain, it started to become a thing. You ever wear something that you think doesn't fit? Like, I don't know, and, and your mind starts to build it up, and your mind starts to create something, and it starts to build up something. And the truth is, a lot of times, we have this, that our brain, and our mind, our, is really created pure. And if we would just think straight, we would think good, we would think pure, and we would go in the right path. We always have something, there's something that's a jealousy, an insult, uh, an anger, a depression, and something that's festering in our brain, and that's creating in our brain, and it starts to become like a monster, and it wants to eat us up. And it really destroy, it could destroy a week, it could destroy a month, it could destroy a long amount of time. Or, you know, if your husband's business isn't so good, so now you start to think about how it's going to be. And in two years from now, and how are we going to marry off the kids, and how are we going to retire, and how are we going to... And you start to just, it starts to build and build and build. And, and right now everything's okay, and you're fine, and you're surviving. But the build-up starts to become something that really, really starts to pull you down. And so what Abiyudah was saying about that ship is that those diamonds are on the deck and they would really be sailing fine if not for these big snakes these monsters so to speak it doesn't mean real monsters but these monsters so to speak that are coming and trying to gobble us up and every now and then the bird comes in and we try to cut off the head of the monster and calm ourselves down but something else props up and something else bothers us so maybe it's not our ego today it's our jealousy and it's maybe not our jealousy it's our depression it's not our depression it's our anger there's always something there to eat us and that really becomes a struggle of our entire life. Now at the same time, your imagination is really good. Your imagination is the only reason why we hope. 
It's the only reason why we build. It's anything that was ever done in this world was first imagined and then created. So the imagination is really a great thing. But it gets out of hand and it gets loose and it goes crazy. And the truth is, if you think about it, almost everything around us is really there to play on our imagination. Everything you do. People watch a movie. You ever see someone watch a movie? And they're sitting there and they're getting all into it. They're laughing. They're crying. They're sad. They're they're involved. What happened? Nothing happened. No one got killed. No one woke up. The guy, this little ketchup came out of his shirt. Nothing happened. Nothing really happened. What happened is they captured your imagination. Did anyone here have a husband who's a sports fan? Anyone whose husband's a Yankee fan? Yeah, so now, I don't know if you know, you ever see Yankee fans over the last week, especially there was a Yankee game on the holiday. So it was a big deal. Some people, they don't want to watch on the holiday. So, but now the whole Friday night, I know grown men, he really told me, this grown man told me with kids and his great man, great family, him and his, and another relative of his were walking out of the house on Saturday Friday night, walking around trying to find a house where they could get to school. <laughs> I, and I'm not exaggerating. They went, he went to a family member that he hasn't been in five years. The man wouldn't open the door. He flagged down a bus. I mean this. He flagged down a bus for the driver to give him the score. The driver didn't know. Then he stopped some cars. Grown man, I mean, it's good, respectable man. And I don't mean some, but you know what? What is with sports? Does sports make any sense? A woman for sure don't think it makes sense. But does sports make any sense? Millions and billions of dollars, millions and millions of people watch sports. You know what? Millions and millions. What are they doing? They want to watch see a baseball get hit. You could go to the McDonald Park and you could watch a baseball get hit. What are they? Is it is if they if they created in your mind this concept of it's me and we and it's it's the the whole concept of we're gonna win and I'm gonna win becomes a big deal even though you actually get nothing out of it. You get zero from it, but it becomes a concept and it's built and it's built and it becomes a big deal. And just in case you think you're laughing at men, there's this thing, there's something called a soap opera. You ever hear of a soap opera? You heard of this? People get involved in it and they have to watch and then, what is it, every day or every week? And they have to, you know what, but they have to like follow up. And then they have to go to the next episode, and the next episode, and they're involved. They know the names of people. There's people who know this. The names of the guy, and who she got married, and who she was married, who she's going to marry, where the kid came from. She's crying. She's laughing. My mother's been watching the same for 30 years. That's on tape. I don't know. <laughs> but, but the truth is, and she, what happens, it's like she's related to these people. It really, that's what, because they know everyone's name. They know their background. In essence, what really happened, they walked off the set and made half a million dollars. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. What is it? It's your. It's our imagination. How do they put an advertise for us on a, a let's say the advertise, you know, you go to a store and you want to buy a suit and they show you a suit put dressed on a mannequin or something or they show you an ad and the suit looks unbelievable. And the reality is you know and I know that no one ever looks that good in the suit. But they just set it up in a way that you can picture it looks great. Even though it's a person, only five people in the world could look that good. And only if they're sitting in that position with that angle that it looks good and it gets us possessed. And people show us pictures of retirements and they'll advertise to you somewhere and you'll see a couple, an older couple walking on a seashore and they're 70 years old and everything looks great and they... That picture starts to become like a monster, and it controls you. When Hashem created the world, He intended on there being three different beings. And each being was going to have its own role. 
one at a time. Adam, man, was supposed to be totally pure. Man was supposed to be only nishama, full diamond. That's what man was supposed to be. No needs, no nothing, total diamond. That was man. Woman was supposed to be the person who provided for his needs. Person who took care of the physical needs of man. That's how woman, that's how they were actually, according to some opinions, created together as one being because her role was to create the physical needs of men. The Nachash, the snake, was the imagination. The Nachash, the snake, was supposed to be there as the imagination of man. It says, the Gemara says that the greatest servant that man ever had was this snake. And it says that the snake would be able to go across the world to achieve, uh, to get diamonds for man. What does that mean, across the world? Is that someone's imagination can create tremendous things. And that's what the snake was supposed to do, is be that imagination and that creator and that builder that helps man and that serves man in his building and his purity and serving of Hashem. So man was going to be spiritual, woman was going to be physical, and the snake was going to be that imagination. And it was all supposed to work, that it was all supposed to serve man. Not that man is great. Man meaning the spiritual part of man. That's why they had no clothing, because they weren't embarrassed of their body. There was nothing physical about it. It was totally spiritual. Man was totally spiritual. And his wife, Chava, was going to take care of those spiritual, was going to provide the physical that was necessary to complement the spiritual. And the snake was going to provide the imagination that, like we said, you can only succeed with that imagination. That's what the snake was going to do. The problem is that the whole thing went backwards. And the whole thing blew up. Because instead of the snake serving the woman and eventually serving the man, what happened instead was that the snake became like a billboard and became an advertisement. And he was the original, the first salesman ever created was a snake. And he started to get, ooh, there's this tree and you can't have it and God doesn't let you touch it because he knows if you would eat it, this is what happened. And he starts to create in woman an imagination of what this tree could be. I mean, we all think, everyone, this must have crossed your mind. If you were there and there's only one tree you can't eat from, I mean, can't you just let go of the tree? The whole, everything else was fine. Just one tree. The answer is, is that the snake managed to make that tree be the thing we wanted. Through his ability, this imagination that he could create, as he started to create that monster that would control, and that's going to create, wow, this, this need. And then once he convinced woman to do that, woman who was supposed to be there and come and provide for man's needs, now became the person who instead brought man the one need thing that he didn't need and was the person who brought it all down. So the system that was supposed to work this way or this way, now all of a sudden it was working this way. That this snake was creating an imagination for the woman and creating the woman who was supposed to bring the needs of man is now providing the only thing that's bad for man and now bringing man totally down. So what really happened at that point was the system of the world that Hashem had created. And Hashem made it you might say it would seem easy, but Hashem created this system that there was three separate beings and each one had its own role. The whole thing in that one moment got messed up. 
is that snake showed that he's going to use this power of imagination instead of service, it's going to be a distraction and a disaster. And woman, instead of providing the needs, is going to provide the, the things that are going to hurt the man. And now man went, and instead of being superior and being spiritual, he went and he succumbed to what these other beings were giving him, and he fell. And so Hashem said that the whole plan of the world has to change. The whole plan of the world and what life is supposed to be now has to be different. Because this is not, it wasn't working the way it was supposed to work. After it was not Adam and Chava were not the regular man and woman that you see on the street. And the snake was not the regular snake. They were all different. They were all beings that Hashem had created in a different way to serve in a different purpose. Are we clear? Is there any questions? I don't know if I'm... Any questions or no? You're not expecting a question. What's the question? How can something that Hashem created, a system that Hashem created, fail? Okay, that's a good question. The answer is it didn't fail. Hashem was giving them an opportunity to try to make it work. And when they couldn't make it work, Hashem said, now you have to go to plan B. I'm giving you a chance to make this work. And if it works, it'll be unbelievable for you. You'll live in Gan Eden. It'll be unbelievable life. But you have this. Let's see how you do and Adam and Chava and the snake, they all sinned on the first day. Within an hour or so, they had sinned. And they showed that they couldn't do it. And they couldn't do it this way. And that's why the punishments that we're going to see now are not punishments. They're Hashem setting up the world in a new way. Any other questions? Does the kid in the back have a question? We Let's... Let's try to answer these questions. Actually, just to explain it a little further, there were actually three trees. There was all the trees that they were able to eat from. There was the Etz Hadat, the tree of knowledge that they were not supposed to eat from. And the Etz HaChaim, the tree of life, that was a tree that was that would give them, let them live forever. There were three sets of trees, so to speak. There was Etz Hadat, the general trees, and Etz HaChaim. Each one of these trees corresponded to the three forces that were in the world. That Etz Hadat was a tree of knowledge, meant the tree of imagination, which was the tree of the Nachash. The Etz, the regular trees, were the tree of the woman, which are the regular, providing for the regular physical needs. And the Etz HaChaim, tree of life, meant the spiritual, everlasting life that would be on this world. So Hashem created those three trees for these three sets of people. Again, once we messed up, Hashem said, you can't have access to these trees. You have to leave Gan Eden and go through a whole different system. You can't, this system doesn't work for you anymore. And that's why we were taken out of Gan Eden. It wasn't just a punishment to be taken out of Gan Eden. It was a new system. It was a different world, the world that now we live in. And now we have, what we have to do is see how these punishments set up our world to fix the problem. Okay? So now here goes number one. Number one is the Nachash. Hashem's message to Nachash was that we basically, you have to be totally squelched. You are there just as a reminder of what you were. The purpose of the Nachash, there's not really much that we do with a snake. The purpose of a Nachash is to remember that that snake had this power. could have been the greatest service to man. And Hashem said, because you took that imagination and you blew it up and you made it to crazy things, you're going to be as simple and as nothing as can be. He eats from dirt. He's, he's 
squirms on the ground. He's the lowest of the animals. Hashem said, I'm taking that force and I'm trying to send a message to humanity that that force has to be cut down as much as it can. That force has to be down. No legs. What does it mean, no legs? Is that he has no power anymore. He's the bottom. He's the worst of the animals. He's the lowest because that force is the most... That monster is really the most dangerous in our lives. Like I said, really most of us, when we think of what we have to work on, we don't really have to change much. We just have to be really us. We have to not allow these monsters, so to speak, to eat us up alive. If we would just think straight and think right and do proper, like what we know we're supposed to do and be what we're supposed to be and think the way we're supposed to think, we would be fine. The problem is that these things that control us, Hashem's message to the snake was, don't allow with the snake was, don't allow that to eat you. That was the first. Now comes woman. This is the part you're waiting for, right? What is woman? How in the world is the role of woman? What does it have to do with what she was? And the answer is that woman, like we said, to some degree, still maintains that role of that she's supposed to provide some of the physical for the home. In fact, you know, women don't have an obligation to do a lot of mitzvah aseh, a lot of positive commandments. Women don't need to do. Women don't wear tefillin. Women didn't, you didn't shake a lulav on sukkot, you didn't sit in a sukkah, you didn't have to hear the shofar. A lot of the positive mitzvot, women are not obligated. Why is that? Is because that really, to some degree, comes natural to women. Why does it come natural to women? Because that's not really always what you, where your main role is. Your main role is to provide for the physical of the family. And why is that the main role of women? Like I said, women don't have an obligation to learn. Most of you, you're going to do one or two classes during the course of a week, and you did great, right? You're you're like in kolel for women. Well, when it comes to men. When it comes to men, they need they should be studying a lot more. Why is that? Because a man's role, man has to work on that spiritual. The woman, to some degree, it comes natural because of the fact that that, to some degree, they don't have to work on it because their role is to build in the woman, to build in the physical. Why is Hashem make this? Hashem said the world, in essence, was too easy. Is that basically everything was serving each other and it just was just went. When things just go and things are too easy, people fail. There's an interesting Mishnah, and I think it's a very important Mishnah that we should understand and that really you need to understand when you're dealing with your children too. The Mishnah says that if a woman has certain jobs that she needs to provide for the home, and I'm not going to go through all the jobs, but let's say it's to mend the clothing, provide the food, uh, make the best certain need, needs that she has to provide for the home. The Mishnah then says, if a woman has one maid or one servant, then she is patur, she's absolved from two of her jobs. It says if she has two maids or two servants, then she's absolved from, let's say, three of her jobs. And then the Mishnah says if she has three maids or three servants, then she's absolved from, absolved from like four of her jobs. So then the Mishnah says, and how about if she has four? So Rabban Gamliel says if she has four, she can't have four. Why can't she have four? Because if she has four, she's going to have nothing to do. 
So she can't have nothing to do. So even if she has four or five, she still has certain jobs she needs to do. Why? Because if a woman is bored, if she's bored, it's going to bring to immoral things. Another Mishnah says, if she's bored, if she's bored, she's going to go crazy. What the Mishnah is saying is, is that you can't have nothing to do. I don't know if it's okay. You'll have to settle for three maids. Can you handle that? But that's the. But the Mishnah is telling us that to be bored is dangerous. To be bored is bad. And so what Hashem did for woman is Hashem created in woman this automatic, practically automatic. Um, physical functions that happen. A woman has a child, she's in late, she's pregnant for nine months, she then gives birth to the child, and then she's naturally going to take care of the child. I don't know if anyone here ever met a woman that's really bored. It's almost impossible to be bored because your life becomes so engulfed and so engrossed, and so you're never going to get as distracted as women got on the first day of creation. The snakes in the world are not going to be able to gobble you up the way they would have been had it hadn't been this way. And so what Hashem punishment to woman wasn't a punishment. It was a service. It was Hashem giving woman uh, uh, to be occupied and to be busy and to be producing and building where now the needs that she's going to build and the children she's going to build is not just going to happen like this. It's not going to be that the child comes in her body and out of her body in 30 seconds and that the child is just going to raise herself. If, if Chava would not have eaten from the tree, that's what would have happened. The baby would come in, come out, 30 seconds the baby baby would be born, and then the baby would just take care of itself, almost like some animals have. The baby just born, the baby raises itself, you have no function. Would you like that? I'm not taking a vote. It wouldn't be... It, why, what would be wrong with that is that you would be bored. You'd have... You're, you're, the service you do would be easy. And when it's that easy, it becomes dangerous. And so the struggle that Hashem created of us is healthy. Is that work that we have to do. We have to run after one kid's shoes and the other kid's lunch and make... and fill a briefcase and, and make dinner and go through three errands and park and unpark and come back home and take care of the kids. That crazy schedule is healthy for us. Because when we're busy, we're doing we're busy doing our function, doing what we're supposed to be doing in the building that we're supposed to be building and providing the needs the way we're supposed to be providing the needs. And instead of hurting men, we're gonna be building men. Now what's Adam's role? What's man's role? Now it's interesting. The Pasuk says when it's, when Hashem starts to curse men, he says, Allah Adam Amar to man, he said, What how does he describe what man did wrong? He doesn't even say right away that he ate from the tree. The first thing he says is that the first thing, and I'm, I apologize for saying this, but this is what he says. This is the Pasuk says it. So I'm just quoting, okay? Pasuk says, Your mistake was that you listened to your wife. That's what it says. And I said, This is the mistake. Now, why is this a mistake? This is a bad thing? Is this a bad thing to listen to your wife? And I listen to my wife all the time. It's a good thing. Listening to your wife is a good thing. So why is the Pasuk saying that the mistake was listening to your wife? The essence was like this. Is that man thought his role was, he's going to sit back and wait for things to come. And wait for his needs to be provided. And that was the way the world he thought was set up. Nachash creates the imagination. The woman provides the needs and serves him. And so he listened to his wife was how he sort of misinterpreted the role. And that was the job is the woman now gives to me. And she says, ah, that's not how it's going to work anymore. Now you have to go out and you have to go get. 
In a man's role, when a man has to work and he has to earn an income, it doesn't happen like a woman that it comes from inside of him, and it doesn't happen that it's so practically automatic. He has to get up and go. And sometimes you'll see a husband get out of bed, and he's tired and not in the mood, and he has to get up and go. And he has to go earn a living, and make a living. And now you see men, and now, now there's a lot of men like this, more than there should be, that, that don't have a job. And what are they doing? They're going out, they're going on the internet, they're going, they're networking, they're trying to talk to people, figure things out. They, that's their job. Their job is to go out, so to speak, to go uh, a business trip, to go out to work, to go find something, is what's man's well. And now needs aren't coming to you. You have to go and get them. You have to go and work and to create to build them. Because Hashem says, now that's going to be your role. You can't just wait. You have to go do. You have to be proactive instead of reactive. Your mistake was reacting. Now you have to be creating. And that was man, that's what Hashem provided, made man do. It wasn't a curse. Again, it was man's way of now, that's how you're going to build it. You're not just, mistakes aren't just going to happen. It's just going to be, oh, it's an excuse. I didn't know. I'm sorry. It's my wife. That doesn't work anymore. Because now your job is to go and get. So what Hashem created, and the same reason why Hashem created death. Death wasn't a curse. Death just makes it that now a person wouldn't die. They'd never have anything to do. Because I'll push it off until I'm 260. Or when I'm 260, I'll push it off until I'm 790. And I still have plenty of years to go. Now it doesn't work that way. Is that every stage of your life is short. And now you're only a teenager this long. And you're only middle-aged that long. And you're only this, that. And, and you have kids. So because of that, that creates an urgency. And that urgency creates a busyness. So what Hashem created in this world, in essence, was. He took the nachash, that was the imagination, and said, I'm cutting that down. He took the woman and said, I'm going to create automatic needs, work that you're going to do, that's going to now be building and providing for your home. And instead of reacting, you're going to be, excuse me, instead of, instead of just happening now, you have to go and work to do it. And it's going to, you're going to be busy. And by being busy, it's going to be healthy. And the truth is, like I said, it's the most important message for your kids. You want to know if your kids are in trouble? If they're bored, chances are they're in trouble. If they're busy, chances are they're not. This is just... General rule, just telling you as a general rule, if you have a teenager, he's 17, 18, 19, and they're really busy, and they have a lot of things to do, and they're doing homework, and they're doing work, or they're in school, or they're working, or they're even playing basketball, they're learning, if they're busy, chances are they're okay. If they're not, and they're home, and they're sitting around for two, three hours a night, chances are they're doing something they shouldn't do. They're on the computer, they're looking at something they shouldn't look at, they're interacting with people they shouldn't interact with, they're accessing things they shouldn't, and that's the a general, it's not automatic, but it's general. Board is bad. And so Hashem created for us this automatic that we're going to be going out that we're going to be working and providing and building. And that what we're doing in our homes is our role and becomes how we're building the needs of man. And then man, Hashem made, that you can't just happen. It's not just going to come to you. You have to go out and you have to go get it. And so what we learned today, we're at the time. So I don't really have a time for that much more. But what we learned today is, is that what we have to sort of guard against is that snake. Is that billboard that creates this picture in your mind that controls you. Or that, 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 that insult that starts to fester in your brain until it covers you for two weeks. Or that little bit of jealousy. Or that emotion that is really, when you think about it, unimportant, that somehow builds in your mind and builds in your head until it eats you up. And we have to realize that we're really made diamonds. 
and we're really made pure, and we would stop those monsters, so to speak, and cut them down, and allow ourselves to think clear, and allow ourselves to do our role properly, and do it well, and do it to the best that we can, we will succeed. We will succeed because Hashem made us good. The only one we're not is when we follow that picture and we say, oh, I want some of that. And we allow that picture to build in our mind. We see just some, something, a car that we all of a sudden have to have. Or a house that we're away that we have to live. Or someone else's lifestyle that we really, really want. Or some, things that start to become a monster. We have to protect ourselves from those things because those things are what cloud us and those things are what become dangerous for us. Hashem created the world in such a way that we should focus on what our role is and do it and focus on it and hit it and every day go to it and don't allow the things that maybe depress you and excite you and anger you to become monsters in your life and if we do so and we understand our role and a man's role and a woman's role and understand where our imagination is healthy and where it's not and how we can produce and keep going and keep doing our job and yes if the routine sounds like it's the same and I do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day understand that it's healthy for us and it's actually building us then is that the we'll all be successful. Amen.